Let us worship God. Our first reading this morning is from the 80th Psalm, beginning with the first verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us turn our hearts in prayers. Holy God, we give you thanks for these ancient words and for the lives of those who have carried them down throughout the ages. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds this morning that your word might fall afresh on us this day. Amen. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come save us. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. O God of hosts, how long will be you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. <laughs> 
You make us the scorn of our neighbors. Our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Gospel reading this morning comes from Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country 
where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Amen. Good morning. How's it going? Is it okay? We all right? It's good to be with you today. As a uh, clinical pastoral educator, which is my vocation these days, part of what I tell my students is to be curious, be curious about the stories that we hear and the stories that we tell. So I'm going to be curious this morning about this story. You know, Mary, uh, Mary was really nobody. She's introduced to us by Luke as, quote, a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Mary only matters in the story because of the man to whom she is connected. Most likely, this is a man that she didn't even really know all that well. We really don't know anything about Mary, and most of what we think we know or what we assume about her has been ascribed to her, projected onto her by the church. A church uh, that has been historically shaped and run pretty much entirely by men, built on stories uh, written and compiled by men, and ascribed meaning by men. And there's a long, very long history of men not telling the full story when it comes to women. There's a very long history of men in the church not valuing women, their stories, or their voices, except when they live up to the standard that men set for them, a standard that is often traced back to Mary, favored by God, a virgin who gives birth. But Mary is only important in this story because she is the mother of Jesus. She is only favored by God because she is going to give birth to the child who would be God's embodiment on earth. 
if she were not the mother of Jesus, and in this situation, her life would not have mattered. Had Joseph not married her, she literally would have been as good as dead. Alone, abandoned by the father of her child, outcast by her community, wondering how she would provide for herself, let alone her child. This is a complicated and stressful situation full of uncertainty. But the way that Luke, a man, writes about it in verse 38, where Mary simply says, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. It seems as if Mary is in full acceptance of what is about to happen in her life. It seems as if she is putting her complete trust in God, and I think this is how you know a man is writing about a woman's experience. Because a girl, remember, Mary is probably somewhere between 13 and 16 years old. A girl finding herself suddenly pregnant is probably, most likely, a very disorienting experience. Confusing. Scary. Mary has no bodily autonomy. And the closest thing that Mary gets to comfort from the angel Gabriel is when he says, do not be afraid, which sounds more like a command than compassion. Now, I have no idea what it's like to be a woman. And I won't profess to understand what Mary's experience might have been like, but I am curious. Because for generations upon generations, men in the church have been telling their version of Mary's story. Lifting up Mary's faithfulness, her purity, her devotion and obedience to God as the totality of who she is. But I want to wonder with you this morning, for Mary, the human being, the teenaged girl, wouldn't there be so much more to her lived experience? Megan Larissa Good writes in her essay, The Confidence of Women, unfortunately for many women, reading the first two-thirds of the book Jews and Christians share as Holy Scripture reinforces the sense that there truly is no place of safety. Respected heroes of faith trade their wives for riches and protection. Fathers sacrifice their daughters as part of bargains with God. Masters cut up their concubines to make a point. Basic bodily functions make women unclean and unfit for the house of God. All 16 prophetic books record the oracles of men despite the known existence of qualified female prophets. God is even referred to as the God of our fathers 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as if the faith of the mothers, Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, were not worth mentioning. End quote. Mary, most likely, would have heard these stories and understood that as a woman, her life continued only at the mercy of the men around her. Mary would have known that to the world she was not favored. Far from it. We've heard the Christmas story repeated so many times over that perhaps we take it for granted that we know exactly how it plays out and how it ends. Christmas is coming. We know that Jesus will be born. And I want to invite us for a moment to imagine what it might have been like for Mary living this story. What might she have felt? What questions might she have had? Can you imagine? As she arrived to visit her elder relative Elizabeth, what kind of emotional, mental, spiritual state might she have been in? The only record of their encounter we have is this brief passage. And I imagine that so much more was said and done during their visit together than we are privy to. Elizabeth herself, unexpectedly pregnant and about six months further along than Mary, is surely having her own experience. Remember that she thought that she wouldn't be able to have children, and God sent Gabriel to appear to her husband and announce that she would give birth to John, who would be the voice in the wilderness, calling people to prepare the way for Jesus' ministry. Again, can you imagine the shock, the uncertainty, the confusion that might arise? And then perhaps the clarity that descends as Mary and Elizabeth occupy the same space with each other. Amazement, meeting amazement. The new lives taking shape inside of them, recognizing each other, jumping with excitement. What wisdom might they have shared with each other? Megan Larissa Good writes further in her essay, when Elizabeth and Mary see each other's swelling stomachs and hear each other's stories, they recognize immediately what has happened to them is not a fluke, but the beginning of a new reality. In these two overlooked and underestimated women, God's agenda for the world has been revealed. Mary is the first to recognize and declare it. God has come to turn the world inside out. God is favoring those the world has not favored. God is choosing those the world has not chosen. 
God is remembering those the world has forgotten. Those who through most of history have glutted themselves on power and riches, on violence, and most of all on their exclusive possession of God are officially losing their license. God will speak through those who have been silenced. God will work through those who have been dismissed. God will dwell in those who have been shut out of the official systems. God will reveal truth to those least expected to know it. God will move out of the temple, out of the palace, out of the corner office, and into women's kitchens and forgotten field hands' caves. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news he came to bring Elizabeth and Mary precisely because they exist on the bottom rung of history, are able to see it most clearly. Even here, barely past the moment of conception when Jesus is taking shape inside the womb, already they feel their chains dropping off, their heads being lifted, their mouths opened, and they know a new world is forming. Redemption is being born in the forgotten corners. God is moving to the margins of the world, and God is calling the outcasts to leading roles. End quote. What an amazing revelation. I have no idea what it's like to be a woman. And I see how women are treated. I read how their stories are told. And I find myself longing for better stories. It was a brisk and windy day a number of years ago when my colleague and I went out to check on Lindsay, who had missed a number of appointments earlier in the week. There were no hotel rooms available to her, and rumor had it that she was hunkered down in her tent under the freeway. Her friends told us that she was nauseous and in pain. We were immediately concerned because she was pregnant in the beginning of her third trimester and historically resistant to receiving medical assistance. Lindsay also had a history of drug use and we weren't completely sure if she was maintaining sobriety during her pregnancy. On our way to visit her, I picked a flower growing on the bank of the stream by the roadside its pink petals, a stark contrast to the faded brown grass, a bit of beauty in an otherwise desolate landscape. Stepping under the overpass, we saw a pair of tents, a handful of bikes, and a makeshift kitchen, a couple of pots, and a small pile of canned goods. Lindsay, I called out, it's Paul, the chaplain, are you here? A weak voice replied from the furthest tent, Hi, Paul, I'm here. 
I knelt at the entrance to the tent and extended my hand, holding the flower. Lindsay pulled back the tent flap and ever so gently took the flower from my hand, wide-eyed. It's beautiful, she said. She was shivering, even though covered in a pile of blankets and sleeping bags and pillows. We're worried about you, I said. You haven't made it to your appointments at the clinic. Are you okay? She smiled and shook her head weakly. I don't feel well. I just couldn't make it into town. We went back and forth a bit, my colleague and I attempting to assess the urgency of the situation. Lindsay was not interested in going to the hospital with us and insistent that we send nobody else to check in on her. I caught myself starting to argue with her, trying to convince her to accept our help. Then I heard another voice, another woman's voice from the other tent. I'm here with her, Paul. She's going to be okay. I've had four kids myself, and I know what to do. I'm keeping my phone charged, and believe me, I'll call for help if anything goes wrong. There was nothing else for us to do. So I offered a silent prayer, and my colleague and I turned to leave. And on our way out, a red-tailed hawk flew just above our heads and perched itself beneath the freeway, turning its head toward Lindsay's tent. We looked at each other in bewilderment. When does that ever happen? I had a difficult time sleeping that night, thinking about Lindsay under that overpass, wondering about the life of this child who would be born into nothing, praying for him, his mother, for the unknown father, and for those who might walk through the cold landscape to find them. I asked if God might still favor a woman like Lindsay. Maybe God's voice has become drowned out in a world full of so many voices. I need to learn to trust, as Lindsay trusted, the simple beauty of a plucked flower, the voice of the unseen woman next door, and the watchful eye of the hawk who dared to fly so low. God is choosing those the world has not chosen. Are we choosing them? May it be so. Amen. Thank you.
As we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, 
for those you love and for yourself to be given to God.
God, you have fed us in word, in silence, in bread, and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and our praise. Amen. Go forth this day and be curious. Curious about the stories you hear and curious about the stories you tell. And may the grace of God who created you in love the peace of Christ who teaches it is possible to be loved, and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Amen.